There are three things that make a city great. It's people, it's history and it's architecture. And beyond that, you can list parks, restaurants, music and even a football team. But another way of measuring a city's greatness is the books that are set in the city. Now, some books have so indelibly described a city that the city itself has absorbed the fiction into its very own fabric. Think of Dublin and the works of James Joyce, London and Charles Dickens, New York and F. Scott Fitzgerald. These are writers who didn't just set a story in the city. They presented the city as a state of mind. So what is the Los Angeles state of mind? Well, it's the home of American cinema, the major TV networks and most of the record labels. And together, they all peddle the same fantasy. Or, if you will, the same myth. And that myth is that L.A. is the land where beautiful people live and the sole purpose of their lives is to be walking advertisements for the American dream. The truth is, L.A. is not a dream, but the very definition of contradiction. And yet, its contradictions are so seamless that the only real thing about L.A., is its illusion. There is no there, there. The contradiction is that it's a city addicted to rehab. Its 12-step program practices a repulsive attraction and its detox is commercial religion. Fame is a spiritual cleanser. After all, LA gave birth to confession TV, or what I call the pornography of the soul. You're different, Officer White. You're the first man in five years who didn't tell me I look like Veronica Lake inside of a minute. You look better than Veronica Lake. Pierce Patchett. He takes a cut of our earnings and invests it for us. Doesn't let us use narcotics and he doesn't abuse us. Can your policeman's mentality grasp those contradictions? He had you cut to look like Veronica Lake. No. I'm really a brunette. But the rest is me. For a long time, the writer most closely associated with Los Angeles was Raymond Chandler. More recently, however, another author has woven fact and fiction into one seamless blend of criticism and celebration. James Elroy has written a series of novels, The Blue Dahlia, The Big Nowhere, L.A. Confidential and White Jazz, collectively known as the L.A. Quartet, and he is now known as the city's great chronicler. One of the reasons for his vaulted status is that his plots are set in the past, and it is through that prism he charts the city's historically complex relationship between entertainment law enforcement and crime. The cement that binds them together is corruption. Here is Elroy himself. It's the film noir era. L.A. is a boomtown on the edge. William H. Parker takes over in August of 1950 and turns this into a clean town. And along the way, he meets a little rat-faced TV and radio ham actor director named Jack Webb and they cook up a public relations bonanza as Dragnet. The novel LA Confidential is not only sprawling in scale and scope. Elroy's prose and dialogue are incredibly terse. So terse they cut and twist like a knife. There are so many characters and plot lines that it is very easy to lose track of who is who and what is where. Here is the film's director, Curtis Hansen. Of the many, many, many decisions made on L.A. Confidential, as it happens, the luckiest one, and in hindsight, the smartest one, was also the first one. 
and that was to team up with Brian Helgeland. The partnership worked because, unknown to Hansen, Helgeland had already been lobbying hard to be assigned to adapt Elroy's novel. He was a huge fan of all of Elroy's work. So when Helgeland got the call from Hansen, he couldn't believe his luck. Mind you, luck only led to very, very hard work. The adaptation meant ditching material so fascinating it could have made a movie all on its own. Stuff such as Bud White's investigation into a serial killer of prostitutes. In all, Hansen and Helgeland took a novel that spans seven years and crushed it down to a few months. Rollo Tomasi. Is there more to that or am I supposed to guess? Rollo was a purse snatcher. My father ran into him off duty. And he shot my father six times and got away clean. No one even knew who he was. I just made the name up to give him some personality. What's your point? Rollo Tomasi's the reason I became a cop. I wanted to catch the guys who thought they could get away with it. It was supposed to be about justice. When the script was done, Hansen made a very bold decision. He approached high-powered producer Arnon Milchen. Milchen is one of those throwback producers, independently-minded, respectful of talent, and willing to take a chance on original material. Over the course of his career, he has been the money behind such films as Once Upon a Time in America, Brazil, The War of the Roses, Pretty Woman, Heat, and Fight Club. But instead of giving Milton the script, Hansen decided to present him with a series of rare photos and postcards of 1950s Los Angeles. He asked Milton to consider them as indicators of the feel, look and sound of the picture. Milton, obviously a man of vision, immediately understood Hansen's vision. It may not be all that easy to see, but look inside the plot and you will notice it captures the moment when cheap fame met a new medium called television. The two soon married and begat a vice now known as celebrity culture, the descendants of which are the likes of Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. Want an autograph? Write to MGM. Since when do two-bit hoods and hookers give out autographs? Just say to me. LAPD, sit down. Who in the hell do you think you are? Uh, take a walk, honey, before I haul your ass downtown. You are making a large mistake. Get away from Artie. Shut up. A hooker cut to look like Lana Turner is still a hooker. Hey! She just looks like Lana Turner. She is Lana Turner. What? She is Lana Turner. But Hansen made another brave decision, and that was to pursue a lighting scheme that was directly at odds with the material. The temptation would have been to heighten the tension of each scene by stylizing the lighting in the manner of the classic noir pictures of the 50s, The Asphalt Jungle, The Big Heat and Kiss Me Deadly. But Hansen went another way, and to secure that other way, he hired the Italian cinematographer Dante Spinotti, who brought to each frame a naturalistic and realistic approach. Amazingly, the film still looks spectacular, and one of the reasons why it looks spectacular is because, although it is set in the 50s, the sets don't look like movie sets. The trouble with period pictures is that they are often overdressed, and consequently, everything looks new. LA Confidential has visual elements that date from well before 1953, which is the way it should be. I mean, if you look outside your window right now, in no likelihood you will see cars from the 1990s. Give your career a rest. Leave her alone. A naked guy with a gun? You expect anyone to believe that? Get the fuck away from me. How's it gonna look in your report? It'll look like justice. That's what the man got. Justice. You don't know the meaning of the word, you ignorant bastard. Yeah? Well, you think it means getting your picture in the paper? 
Why don't you go after criminals for a change instead of cops? Stenzlin got what he deserved and so will you. Brilliantly as the film is written and spectacular as it looks, it's a soundtrack that really sticks with me. It was composed by the late, great Jerry Goldsmith, the maestro whose music augmented the magnificent images of many memorable movies. For instance, another great mystery set in Los Angeles, Chinatown. I contend that Chinatown is a horror film of sorts. Certainly, the crime committed at the heart of it is horrific. Then, a couple of years later, Goldsmith stepped into traditional horror with his Oscar-winning score for The Omen. He then went into outer space for more horror in Alien. Later on, he did Basic Instinct, a soundtrack so sumptuous and sophisticated, I doubt that the film deserved it. And that's not just me. Goldsmith considered it the most complex work he ever wrote. The reason why Goldsmith's scores are so good is because his melodies put you inside the heads of the characters. You hear their state of mind. And that is so true of LA Confidential. You hear what is confidential. Just listen to the theme that plays out over the end credits. It tells us that life, in all its virtue and corruption, goes on. And Bud White and Ed Exley have just got to get on with it. <laughs> 